Well, here we are. At home. In our living rooms. With our families. With those we love. Today, wherever you are located, know that you are not alone. You are not alone. We're still connected. Today, we gather as one body. One body. One body. Because the church is not a building. It never has been. It never has been. We gather today as one church. One church. To lift up one name. The name of Jesus. 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 So wherever you are, today is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day to give him thanks. So let's unite. Let's worship. Let's praise his name. For he is worthy of it today and every day. Because we are still the church. We are the church. We are the church. We are the church. We are the church. Here we are. How's everybody doing? Good. <laughs> Good. Glad to hear it. That's... That's a, it's a really awesome reminder. Everybody at home, everybody here, wherever we are, we're the church. It doesn't have to be a building. And, and I think it's been so, so great and so important in these critical times. As, as some people are, are getting angry because we're opening, some people are getting angry because we're closing and, and talking about restaurants and everything. It's so important to be the church no matter what. And that's a, that's a gift and a treat. So thank you, guys, everyone who's, who's here. Um, Wearing the mask, whether you want to wear the mask, don't want to wear the mask, everybody's just been pleasant, and it's, uh, it's refreshing. So, my name's Nick, for those of you who don't know me, and we're going to talk about depression today. I, I really hope you're excited. I, I know I am. Um, let's pray. Heavenly, perfect Father, thank you so much for being here in our lives, no matter where we're at, in a building, out of a building, running, sitting, whatever. Thank you so much that our, our lives are, are spoken into by you and your word. And, and that's what we're here to talk about, hear about, and, and share with each other today. May we open our, our eyes, our hearts, our brains, and, and may I be useful. And, and may we walk out of here a little closer a little wiser in your ways. Thank you so, so much. Amen. So a lot of you guys have been like me, stuck at home a little more than you're used to. I say stuck. It really has been a gift and a treat. We've got uh, four kids under four, four kids, four and under. The, uh, all, the youngest is three months, a couple days ago. So, so we've, we've had our hands full. We've really enjoyed it. So stuck at home, we're like a, a bit of a treat. And the challenges of going to work when they when, when called in and, and not going to work when told to go home and and all that there, there's a, it's just a lot of crazy, but it's been neat and it's helped me realize that I'm definitely a bit of a people person. Um, people will laugh at me when I tell them that because they're like, well, yeah, we knew that, and I I, I didn't. It's not always obvious to me, but but I can't, I can't remember looking back to even when I was a kid, a really small child. I like to talk to people about anything, and, and looking back on it, it's because it's I, I enjoyed hearing their stories. I like getting to know them. I like interacting back and forth, and so one of the first things I would do when I would meet someone would be I'd, uh, I'd like start trying to like swap stories, 
because I thought that was neat. And, you know, as a five-year-old or six-year-old, you know, your story's a little bit different uh, than maybe they are now, but, but, that, but it's all the same. And so I thought it was cool how you would hear a good story they would tell and how they would react and what they thought was a good story and, and some of the things they, they did and, and what some of the things they thought as they were going through it and, and also how, how they responded to a story I told. And they usually looked at me like, man, you are a weirdo. So that would you know, help set up this person thinks I'm weird and whatever. So I knew how to, to move. But it, it was a neat thing, a neat way to get to know people. So to start off today, and I know the back and forth is always difficult in this, in this scene, in this environment, so it'll be a little different, but I'm going to ask you to think, to really participate on this one, just because it's fun, to think about a really good, really awesome time that sticks out in your brain, like a, a point in your life, or an experience, or something that you witnessed, whatever, that is just sticks out in your brain so, so much that you, like, you recall maybe the, the smells and the environment and the look on someone's face, or, or you have a picture that's just ingrained from a good moment, from one of those moments that makes you smile, that makes you want to go back to that time. So everybody, everyone who's, who's hearing this at home, wherever, do this with me for a second. And take a few minutes to, to go through your memory bank, and, and while you're doing that, I'm, I'm going to share one of mine, a couple of mine. And um, so... Uh, <laughs> The, the first one, the primary one I'm going to share, is the first time I landed a backflip on a wakeboard. So for those of you who don't, don't know, a wakeboard is like a snowboard behind a boat. So it's like you're skiing, but you're on one solid board. And it's kind of like a skateboard, too, but it's strapped to your, your feet. For those of us who aren't quite coordinated enough to keep the board with us, we strap it to us. Um, and so I, I got this wakeboard for my birthday, and we were always a lake-going family, but always skiing. My dad taught us to slalom on, like, the one ski, water ski. He taught us to do that when we were really young. And, and so we are always one of those, but, but wakeboarding was just kind of coming up, and, and I wanted a wakeboard, so they got me one. The first thing I did was get up, figure out how to get up, obviously. Got up on the wakeboard, kind of figured out I could ride around, figured out how to jump the wake so, okay, I could get a little bit of air. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready to learn to do a backflip. I want to do a backflip. So... That, that's how I spent all of my time wakeboarding. All my time behind the boat, I would get up, go kind of out. I remember because I'd go to the left side of the boat and then come back into where the wake was and try to get all this air and try to do a backflip. And that was all I would try to do. So it involved a lot of getting up, wiping out, getting up, wiping out, getting up, wiping out. Um, people didn't love it. That, that was my technique. Um, but one day I finally landed it. Took a long time. And I remember this day so, so vividly. It was early in the morning. The sun, we were in Tennessee, so there were trees. Um, there were tall things with green leaves on them. Um, there were trees all around. And uh, for those of you at home, we're in the desert. So just in case you didn't get that joke. Um, <laughs> so there, it was totally, water was totally smooth. The sun was just barely above the top of the trees, if there. And, and in the boat was my dad and my best friend, Drew. We had the music going. We had this tower over the boat, and the music was blaring really loud. So everybody on the, on the lake or on the shore knew we were, we were out, and it was time for them to get up. We weren't anybody's favorite. Um, and my dad was driving, and my, my friend was just kind of sitting there hanging out, making jokes at me as I, as I got up, wiped out, got up, wiped out. Um, and so I remember, I, I, I remember everything about this one. It was near the end of, our, of my turn. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, Dad, I'm ready when you are. Because at this point, you know, you get, you're going to be pretty polite if people are, are watching you do this. So I'm back and I'm ready. Ready when you are, Dad. And he pulls me up. And I come out and I go and I hit it. And, 
And I'm like, all right, here we go. And I, I start turning, I rotate over like this, and I come around, and I come and I, I, I land on the water kind of, and I kind of start falling and wobbling like always, and I'm like, oh, here it comes. But then somehow I stay up. I did it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and I was so excited. I was, woo, you know, doing all this. And my dad and, and Drew were, were pumped. They were hugging. Um, nobody was driving the boat for a couple minutes, but that was okay. Um, it, everybody was just so excited and so pumped. That is a memory I will not forget. Absolutely will be ingrained in my mind forever. My dad, huge supporter. Another memory from behind the boat. Um, he was always driving, and, and, I, and anytime we'd do something neat or fun or cool, he would be in the front seat kind of, he, he would never sit because he wanted to be able to see everywhere and be able to look back at you, so he'd be kind of scrouched, you know, kind of funny like this, and, uh, and, he, and he'd look back at you and like pump his fist and give this real obnoxious yell, and I'll never forget that. You know, you'll do something on the water, like, oh, that was cool, and you look up every time, sure enough, there he is, pumping his fist, giving this obnoxious yell, but you're like, it was fun, it was cool. All right, so hopefully by now you guys have followed me through this one and you've got a, a good, one of those good memories that sticks out in your mind. Life isn't all good. You guys know that. So can you now, with me, think back to one that's not so great, one that does stick out in your mind, but in the opposite way, one that was sad, one that was a huge bummer, one that left you maybe seemingly hopeless um, while you do that. Think about one of those times that sticks out in your mind that, that, come, that goes with you, that you still can recall the smells, the environment, your feelings, who was around, what was going on very, very vividly. So while you're doing that, I'll share a couple of mine. Back to wakeboarding. This was uh, probably five years later, I suppose. I was 17. Yeah, I was 17. And wakeboarding again. Dad was driving. Let's see, my family was all in the boat, so that, that would be, that was four of them plus me, so we were a family of five, they were up in the boat, and then my, my dad's brother and his family were there, so there were nine of us, there were nine people in the boat, the tenth that was me, I was out in the water, and same thing, wakeboarding, got up, and at this point, it was, I'd get up and do the backflip, just to get that one out of the way, and then I'd go play and do whatever, and just, just it, it was a weird thing, that it was like, see, I can do it all the time, anyway, um, and so I got up, and I went and did a backflip, went up, did the spin, came down, but instead of landing firmly on my feet this time, I landed on my face. <laughs> so two plates and 11 screws. Um, so I hit the water, and as I hit the water, you know, I hit it right here on this side, and I could just feel and hear all the bones crunching and curl and cracking, and you could just hear it. It was the weirdest thing ever. And so you're when you get a whack like that, your whole face is always kind of stunned. So you're used to that. So I'm just sitting there like normal, like... That noise wasn't normal. I'm pretty sure I just broke my face. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. And I was really bummed. You talk about going from a big high to a big low. You're like, well, because I'd broken bones before. I, I know what was involved. It's, it's, it's not that much fun. <sighs> All right, I guess I'm out of commission for weeks, months, whatever, how much, however much of a sissy I chose to be. Um, just, just kidding. Um, but that high to that low, uh, so quick, and, and talking about lows, the lows, the, the time I will never forget, the lonely nights, feeling helpless and hopeless, as my dad, always the driver, was battling brain cancer. You know, I'd spend the days doing whatever I was doing, and, and putting on the best show I could, and supporting my mom, and, and whatever needed to be done at the house as best I could, 
and supporting, you know, being there to help take care of my dad as he went through this. And then the, and then the nights were, were by myself. I had nothing to do but sleep. I couldn't sleep. And then the, the empty feeling once, once he lost that battle. So we've all got these really highs and really, really high highs and really low lows. And, and you guys are familiar with this. This isn't new. And the Bible doesn't promise us you will never go through anything like this. Jesus, a really smart guy, he talked to him in the Bible, and I really liked it when he did. In John 16 or so, we get this quote from Jesus where he says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. He said, you will, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus said that. There's a lot more to that verse, and we'll keep going on it, but that's where we're going to start with. So, sadness. This is, this is mostly what I've been talking about so far. Not necessarily sadness, but, or not necessarily depression, but sadness so far. Sadness and depression, they, they aren't exactly equivalent. So, sad times, sad things, really hard stuff, and depression aren't, aren't equivalent. And so, I, I hope nobody thinks I'm trying to, to say that. So, now let me differentiate some and, and then merge the two together. So, so we, I looked up a couple articles on depression. I'm far from an expert, and that's okay. So there's, a, there's two articles I looked at, or that I'm going to share. One uh, is an article quoted from healthline.org, or healthline.com, um, nine types of depression and how to recognize them. Everyone goes through periods of deep sadness and grief. These feelings usually fade away within a few days or weeks, depending on the circumstances. But profound sadness that lasts more than two weeks and affects your ability to function may be a sign of depression. And from Mayo Clinic, we get health, a health disorder characterized by persistently depressed mood or loss of interest in activities, causing significant impairment in daily life. Possible causes include a combination of biological, psychological, and social sources of distress. The the dictionary definition, as I keep just throwing stuff out about depression here as, we try to, as I try to help frame what we're going to be doing, feelings of severe despondency and dejection. Don't you guys love it when a definition comes up and you have to look up all the words in the definition? Um, many of you probably don't have to do that, but, but I did. Despondency, a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope or courage. Dejection a sad and depressed state, low spirits. So, so with depression, we're talking about a real physiological, biological, mental, emotional situation, condition, disorder, as the Mayo Clinic gave, it, gave us. We're not just talking about being sad. And now, you know, some of you guys are looking at me like, well, we know you. You are no expert on mental disorders or the, um, or the brain function. You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And so I'm not going to, to sit here and try to, to navigate through the way the chemicals in our brain work with our emotions to produce healthy, whole individuals. And, and I'm not, certainly I can talk about how we can manipulate or affect those to produce better results in our lives. I, I would be way out of my league. Um, as my wife said the first time I met her, she didn't say it with her mouth, but she said it with her, with her eyes. You're way out of your league. Um, and so, so while I'll acknowledge that, yeah, I'm, I'm there a little bit, the Bible has a lot to say about this. And for those of you sitting there telling me, come on, Nick, get real. 
No, you get real. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> come with me on this and, and, and hear what I've got. Um, just open up a little bit and see where it goes. So, so I say that, and the reason I say that is because of something the Bible says. <laughs> it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That last part, he is preparing and equipping. He's equipping us to function. He equips us to do every good work. The definitions of depression are when it begins to, uh, one of the, some of the big calls out on where you would acknowledge or be aware that maybe we are a little depressed would be causing significant impairment in daily life. Lasts more than two weeks and affects your ability to function. I just went back up to those definitions from those two articles, or the, the, uh, the pullouts from those two articles. So as we look at depression and identify it, when, it's, when sadness begins to, to affect our ability to function, causing significant impairment in daily life, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, these are all ways we're meant to function and, and be productive. And, and so God is addressing something that is preventing you from doing that. I am equipping and teaching you to, to do that. So if there's something that is beating you up there, I'm going to address that for you. I'm going to walk with you through that. I mean, isn't that neat? I mean, he, he knows that it's, it's hard. <laughs> he said that. He said, you, you're going to go through hard times. And he plans to go, he, and he plans to, he has, he will walk with us and take care of us through these, these high highs and these low lows. And uh, a Christian wrote this one. Christian before a Christian was a thing. <laughs> it's Old Testament. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Now, he has given me a new song to sing. It doesn't necessarily mean, hey, he's, he's, he's given me a song, so I'm going to sit here and sing it. You know, some of our songs involve actions. You know, a new song to sing. You know, somebody who gets motivated and inspired to go and, uh, and win a football game. There's a song to sing uh, kind of thing. So there's an example of someone who is acknowledging that God is just as much a part of the highs or the lows as he is the other. So in the, in the highs, exciting, great moments, and in the bummer, low moments, God is just as much there and just as much a part of those as he is the other. So one and the other, it's, there's still God there. So once again, Jesus knows we're going to go through hard stuff. He knows we're here on this earth. He knows us. He created us. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You know, a lot of times when we're feeling depressed, we feel very heavy, very loaded down, very unable to function. It's, or, or maybe able to function, but we feel very sluggish. It's like, oh, it's so much work to get across this stage, whereas when you know, other times I'm just light and fluffy, I'm jumping, it's quick. And so... It, so he's, he's addressing some of this for us. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So we're not just sitting back passively doing nothing. He wants to be just as much a part of these highs as we are these lows as he is preparing and equipping us to do every good work, even through the sad stuff, even through the stuff that is affecting our ability to function. So, so here we go. I, we're going to break this one down into three major topics. So what I've done so far is inter- introduced, I hope, that <laughs> we're here. We're here where things are good, things are bad. We all have great stories. We all have sad stories. Sometimes the sad stuff can get us down and start to affect and come after us. But God has not left us alone there. He's, he wants to address. He wants to speak into those things and walk with us through them. So as we deal with depression, as we look at depression, um, I'm going to do that through three primary categories. The first one will be, I'm going to go and tell you all three real quick, because I think I'm doing great on time. We'll find out I'm wrong about that later. Expect dejection. Expect despondency. Those are those two words we looked up. Expect sadness. And then methods, how to deal with depression. We'll split that up in two different categories as well. World's way, biblical way, and see kind of how those go. And then the last one will be the hope that we have as we, as we say, okay, let's do it your way. Like we saw in that verse where that guy said, I will wait on the Lord. I will wait on God. He did that because he had hope. And so we'll open that up a little bit. So, uh, so it's like, not like I'm telling you, oh, just do it, just to do it. No, there's a reason to do it. So first point, expect dejection, expect despondency, expect sadness. We've set this up pretty good, and this isn't new to you guys. Y'all are, y'all, y'all live this, but I'm going to give you a little bit of why, because so often people will say, well, if God is so good, if God is so great, I'm going to do something radical. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pull up a Bible and read out of it, if that's okay. Um, if God is so good, if God is so great, why didn't he create the perfect world and then just put us in it and let it be awesome and, and easy? He did. We're gonna, I'm going to read a little bit out of Genesis, if I may. So, and I'm going to jump around because we don't have time to read the whole thing like I would do if we could. But I think it took someone 72 hours to read the Bible cover to cover. Um, that's a little bit over the, the time limit I've been given, uh, which I'm not sure what that is exactly. Just kidding. So here, Genesis 1, 31. This is at the end of the creation event. He got done creating everything, whether you think it was six days, 6,000 years, uh, 100 bajillion years, whatever. This is the end of the creation. He is done creating everything. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Not like, oh, a little good, a little bad. No, he saw that it was very good. Now I'm going to move over. So in this time, he created it, it was very good. Remember, there was a garden, there were trees, there were animals, there were people, Adam and Eve. They were already there, they were already there enjoying the fruit of it. They were, they were just being, they were just in the garden. They were in this perfect world that God had created. And then, and God, being God, and us being not God, so slightly, not slightly, uh, what's the right word here? Us being less than God, there were things that, that weren't for us necessarily, that were for God. And he said, yeah, that, that's not for you. I've created you perfectly for this, this method, and you are ruling and reigning in this world I put you, but this over here, that's not for you. Don't eat from this tree. Okay, that's easy enough, but come on. 
if I tell either the, well, let's, let's go with Jack, the two-year-old. He's the best. Um, <laughs> I love him. If I say, Jack, do not touch that window. And last night I pretended to lick the window and I realized in light of, of the events that we have going on, um, that probably wasn't a wise choice. I didn't actually lick it, just so everybody knows. Um, but anyway, but, so if I tell Jack not to touch a window, he's going to go, oh, you mean this window? And he's going to want to get as close as possible. Like this, like this. And his little sister Zoe, is, she is just like him. Like, are you sure you mean don't touch this window? You know, so <laughs> we are children. I just want you all to know that. I'm a child. Um, and so that's what they did. They said, uh, well, you know, maybe he didn't. And, and there was Satan there helping to convince um, but anyway, so that they did what he told not to do. They chose something other than God. You know, just quite honestly, it was, it's very obvious. God said, I created you here, do all this stuff. Don't do that. That's not for you. Choose what I've given you. And it's all around. That right there, not for you. And we said, oh, no, I think I want that. And so all of a sudden, we, we have rejected what God wants. And so now, with that comes consequences. It's not like he was making up rules for fun. Um, so <laughs> consequences. So, the, so I'm going to bring us up to the consequences. Then he said to the woman, he, don't worry, he gets the man too. But we'll start with the woman, just because it's first in the Bible. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. So in something you do, I will now make it painful. I will make it hurt. Um, I am not qualified to talk about this, but I've seen it, and it looks very, very painful. Um, and you will, still talking to the, to the lady, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now we have conflict. Conflict has now entered the world. Because you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So now there's, there's some butting of heads. And to the man, I'm skipping down here a little bit. The ground is cursed because of you. All of your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it, and it will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains. So even though you're still going to eat and, and be provided for from the ground, it's also going to grow thorns and thistles to catch and snag and get stuck in your shoe and get stuck in your pants and get stuck in your socks. Hopefully none gets in your underwear. And it's going to just, it's going to snag you. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. You will now be working very, very hard to make a living to keep food. Until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So a little bit of why there. So we should expect dejection. Expect despondency. Expect sadness. Because we are currently living in a fallen world. There is no doubt about that. I'm, you know, somebody tries to do their job, and, and maybe they make a mistake and do something hateful, and accidentally, um, or, I don't know, accidentally, purposely, whatever, they end up ending a life. What is, how do people respond? They respond hatefully trying to destroy and end more lives. We are in a fallen world. We're, we're told to do something we don't like to do, so we start kicking and screaming. A fallen world. It, it's everywhere around us. So expect these things, but also expect to grow from it. Expect God's not going to waste it. Aaron, Romans 5, he, once again, he, he knew this was going to happen. He was ready for it. And he's going to use it. He's going to use it. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials because we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, 
we're going to talk about that in a little bit, will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So expect these things and then expect to grow from it. Be looking for the, be looking for the growth <laughs> and, and maybe what you are to do with it. We'll, we'll get back to that. So the trick though here in doing that is not to stay happy. The trick is to stay connected. When we read these things in Psalms all the time, and I'm just going to go back to the one I looked at, we looked at earlier, Psalms 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. So we want to stay connected, not necessarily stay happy. Because once again, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So he's saying, stay connected to me. And know that I have overcome the world. What we go through, the stuff we're, we're fighting through, it's, it's no different than what is going on. It's not like we're the only ones struggling with it. So if, if you were like me, you were kind of tempted at times and maybe even carried it out. I did. You, you start to say, well, I can't believe this happened to me. God, why would you take my dad from me? Huh? This doesn't make any sense. Why? I remember screaming that in a Waffle House parking lot. And I was in my red truck. Some of you guys saw the picture of, of what it looked like a long time ago when I was talking about my driving record. Um, and I was sitting there screaming, why? You know, and I was mad. And I felt like I can do whatever I want. And, and that led to my, my history of driving and the driving record that I acquired before I was 18 that fortunately disappeared. Um, but totaled two vehicles. And like one of them was the day before Christmas Eve. And so it, was, it wasn't, but this chip on my shoulder led to these things. But had I realized and remembered this, had I stayed connected and remembered that what I'm going through is, is not out of his hands, is not different than, what's, than what everyone else deals with, I would have no reason to have a chip on my shoulder, no reason to run around and just do whatever I want and think, well, I've been through this and this has happened to me, so I'm owed something. <laughs> He's saying, no, not really. The temptations in your life, the struggles in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. What you're tempted to do, you're tempted to reject God and go your own way and do your own thing. So what I'm referring to here is when I decide that I can do whatever I want, that's me going my own way. And that's, 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 why, that's why this one here, I, I hope the connection is, is maybe not obvious, but it's there. So, so we're getting these statements to expect these things, expect to grow from them, expect to be taken care of through them, expect to be, to be guided and nurtured. And even though we might be, it might be getting whacked time after time after time, even if the waves keep crashing into us, we still stay close. It's not like, it's, it's one of those things that he says, I am here with you. I'm going to grow you through this. You will get stronger and I will take care of you. That's, that's what you need to know. And for this to, to apply to us, for this to, to experience this, to go through this walk, I want to tell a story. Um, Emma, she is, she's four in like a couple months now. And we took her to the beach at Point Magoo. Um, you can get on base there and we stayed there on base. And um, 
and the waves, there's one spot where the waves are kind of smooth and another spot where you kind of climb over some rocks and the waves are like really crashing in. It's really, really neat. Um, and we, we, Emma was over there and Jack wasn't born yet, so Emma's like a year old, a little bit less than a year old. She's walking though. She walked very quickly. It was good. Um, she realized that was the only way she was going to get to go anywhere. And um, we put her down on the beach and she's like walking around. It's fun watching the baby kind of do the baby walk. And all of a sudden she jets for the water. <laughs> what? Kelsey and I both just, we, we don't chase after her right away. <laughs> I can't believe she's doing that. <laughs> Whose child is she? And so we, uh, and so, so ran, went, went over there, eventually stopped her and got her. And, um, but so she had kind of had an affinity for being out in the water. And so we will take her out there and, and we tell her to stay close, especially now she's four. Um, stay close as the waves are crashing in and coming in. And obviously when the water's real rough, we wouldn't want to take her. And so, but we give her some freedom, especially when we go to the side that's a little bit smoother. The waves are still coming in, still kind of a lot for a four-year-old, but she can handle it. Um, and say, Emma, stay close to me, and I'll protect you from these things coming in. You know, the waves are low, but they're coming in fast enough, and they have knocked her down a couple times. So once again, Emma, stay close to me, and I will take care of you. You're still going to get hit by the water. You're still going to have the hits coming in, but I will, I will keep you. I will take care of you. What does Emma have to do for my promise to take care of her and keep her and help her? What does she have to do for that promise to apply? I'll let you answer that one. So, so far, all this doesn't mean that as Christians, we're going to play a video in just a second, all this doesn't mean that as Christians, we won't ever fall into or suffer from depression. I am in no way saying that. So I, I would like to play this video. It's a very short one. Um, and we'll go ahead and watch it now with me before I say anything else and make it weird. Just kidding. My childhood was as close to perfect as you can possibly get. But when I was 12, my life changed forever. I woke up in the middle of the night. I was completely drenched in sweat and absolutely terrified. I had no idea what was going on. My heart was racing. I couldn't breathe, and the walls felt like they were closing in around me. That was the night... I experienced my first panic attack. As I got older, I started dealing with crippling bouts of depression and severe anxiety. I turned to drugs and alcohol to try and cope with everything. I completely hated myself. I, I felt like I was flawed, I was worthless, and I was broken beyond repair. See, in my mind, I thought I had failed God. By this point in my life, I was really, really good at hiding both my symptoms and my addictions. I, I really hoped that marriage would solve all of my problems, but uh, things continued to spiral out of control, and I wasn't able to hide it anymore. It's hard to describe what it feels like when the most important person in your world says that because of you, they're, they're going to have to walk away. It was by far the worst moment of my life, and if I was being completely honest, I would have preferred death than the words that came out of my wife's mouth. I finally accepted that I needed help. In my mind, that meant that I was admitting that something was probably really wrong with me. 
words like therapy and treatment and psychosis started coming out, and it's a really scary thing to go through. Pretty quickly, my psychiatrist was able to diagnose me with bipolar 2 disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. It's not something that you take a pill and you're better. It's something that you will struggle with for the rest of your life. And that was hard to hear. I still struggle with my disease every day. I still fight it every single day. So how, how can I claim to have peace in the midst of something like a panic attack? And how can I claim to have peace when I'm fighting depression? It's because I'm not fighting the battle alone. Jesus has given me peace in the midst of my own chaos. And I have peace because I've seen firsthand what God can do with the most broken of people because I am that broken person. And I'm standing here as living proof that there is no one so broken and no one so flawed and no one so sick that Jesus cannot and will not heal them and use them to further his kingdom. He is where my peace comes from. He is my peace. So that takes us into this next section on, on dealing with depression. And we don't have to be the most helpless and hopeless person to be able to benefit greatly from this. And, and for this to be meant for us as we are to be equipped to do the good work that God has set before us. So how to deal with depression. We're going to break that up into two categories. Category A, I'm going to call the world's way. So mostly coping mechanisms is, is mostly what we're dealing with. So w once I broke my ankle, more plates and screws, and, and I physically, I wasn't able to fix my ankle, but I coped with it. I, I did this. <laughs> I walked on, I hopped on one foot. Um, I, I cut grass for a living. And so in order to stay behind a lawnmower, in order to weed eat, in order to use the blower, um, crutches weren't really an option. So I, I coped, I, I hopped. None of that fixed my ankle. The doctors who went in and, and cut it open and did all that, they fixed my ankle. So I wasn't doing anything there. But I, so coping, so coping mechanisms that are not dealing with the situation are not being proactive about the situation. They are simply trying to hide, cover, and, and continue to go as best we can without addressing the situation. Um, you know, you can only cope so long with a gas tank that's running empty before it's totally out and there's no amount of coping you can do and continue to go forward. So let's go with our coping mechanisms. Number one, getting angry. I share a little bit about some of the, one of the, the saddest times, that I call them one of my saddest times that, that brought me perhaps the lowest and, and the least able to function. I would, I, I remember often going, man, if somebody would just give me a baseball bat and like a house full of windows, I could just go break those windows or maybe some plates or something. I could toss them up and, and you can say I'm a lefty. And, uh, and uh, you know, I just getting angry. And at times I would get angry. I was justified in my opinion for lashing out at people, um, whoever it happened to be. And, and I was justified in being, sometimes it wasn't like outwardly ang angry. It was like sarcastically angry. Like, you know, it's just, but whatever it was, it was, I was angry. God, why did you do this to me? I'm do what I want. <laughs> we can get medicated. 
um, prescription, non-prescription, alcohol, sugar, caffeine, you know, any, anything you're running to is you're like, this will make me feel better. You know, like, yeah, there's something going on that's upsetting me, but this will make me feel better. So I'm going to hang tight to this. this. That can be relatively, that's a coping mechanism. We can get distracted. We can ignore the problem and focus only on good things. So this was also one of my favorite coping mechanisms. I'd act like everything was great and everything was fine, you know, and people would be at, <laughs> at school and, and I'd get comments on, oh, you're still so positive. You know, I was in high school at the time as, as my dad was going through brain cancer and, uh, oh, you're so positive. You just keep going. You're so strong, you know, and I was like, yeah, I am, aren't I? <laughs> you don't see me at night. Um, and, so, and so you ignore the problem. You try to focus on the good things and, and just think about this and that and this would leave me as a walking time bomb. Like, I would be great and fine, and something would set me off. And when I say set me off, I mean like, like uh, something that would remind me of, of a time that my dad and I had. Maybe going, through that, going over that story of, of the wakeboarding thing, or, or going through a story of any number of stories, and just a, a certain moment, a certain emotion would just all of a sudden open the floodgates. And I feel sorry for whoever was around. <laughs> One night in particular, this happened. A buddy of mine was just about to leave for, um, to, to ship out. And, um, and it, just, it just hit me. Like the night was over. We were all going home. And it just hit me. And three hours later, Robert got to go home. <laughs> sorry, Robert. I love you. Thank you. And uh, so getting distracted. It's still going to come back up. Another one. We retreat into our sor- sorrows. We have a pity party. So this is different than genuine mourning or sadness. I would equate those, those nights of, of sitting there and just like feeling sorry for myself to, to that. And even the times in the day where I can do whatever I want to, and, and being really sad about things. So it's not, it's not like you're genuine, like this is a sad problem. This is sad. This is a bummer. This is awful. And, and, and I, I am in mourning. I am sad about this. That, and there you're addressing the issue. This isn't like that. This is just... If just Woe is me. I'm a victim. It becomes all about us, and we begin to feel sorry for ourselves and helpless and victimized. We become a victim. So looking back at at 1 Corinthians, we we need to remember that what we're going through is is no different. And and God is with us and and empowering us and, and walking with us. Bringing us along is a better way to say that, through it. Um, and another one we do is we blame everything and everyone else. This isn't my fault. Look at all this stuff that has happened to me. Once again, back to that victim mentality. So now, category B. This is the biblical method. And it involves identifying and addressing. So there is a problem. Let me address the problem. My wife got, got stranded with a broken down car not that long ago because I didn't address the noise we were hearing under the hood. I thought, oh, it's probably the fan clutch. It, that won't be bad. You'll be able to get home. <laughs> and so we need to address the problem. So ways we do that. Um, identify the issue. Identify there might be an issue. This, this takes a lot of humility. And, and maybe, maybe not being afraid to show a weakness. I mean, once again, being depressed and being sad is not a weakness. You're human. <laughs> we, try to, we try to put our humanity aside in some places because we want to be big and strong. And, and when we're doing that, we're saying, I'm not human. And that's, that's silly. And uh, I, I'm guilty of it too. I, I hope I didn't um, sound like I was coming after anyone. But I, I'm the worst about that one. Let's just go up and say that. Um, being depressed it doesn't mean weak. So we, we go through this, this process. What's making me sad? Why am I feeling this way? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to do something about it? Do I need to go get checked out? Sometimes there's no, nothing's, everything is perfect. 
but we're just feeling like something's not right. You know, I remember my mom, she had thyroid issues. I hope it's okay that I shared that. I didn't ask. And, <laughs> she, and, and that, really, that really got her down. And it took a long time. And, she was, and then when they found out it was her thyroid, she was like, oh, whoo, she was back again. Oh, what a great lady my mom is. Um, and anyway, so, so getting checked out. If something's going on, let's go to the doctor and say, is something wrong with me? And get a physical, like your blood screens, all that good stuff. And just find out what's going on with the physiological, biological issue or deal. And maybe that part's great. Okay, let's move on and keep looking. And sometimes finding someone to talk to, you know, and you just go and say, I just need to talk out loud to what's going on. Let me process this. Let me process this with someone, hear what you have to say. Uh, and be careful who you listen to, necessarily. You guys know what I mean? So some people are going to give you really bad advice. Um, some people are going to give you really great advice. So, so just be wise at who, who's maybe advice you're getting in return and, and what you're doing with that. And considering our roles and the issues that we've identified. So we did that first one. And now consider, what, what's my role in this? What have I done maybe to make this worse? Or maybe not worse, but what can I do here? How can I go forward? Because we go from being a victim who blames other people and other things to being a proactive part of the solution. So the idea here being like, okay, I've identified this. Now what is my move here? Because whether it's, whether it's an outward situation, something going on the inside, whatever it is, whether it's somebody else's fault, you know, sorry, uh, whether it's someone else's fault, whatever we think it is, there is nothing it can separate us from God's love and God's power. That's what Romans 8 says right here. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels nor demons. I'll skip. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, as, as we, so we can say, okay, where's my role here? We talked about being connected. You know, we talked about the goal isn't to stay happy. It's to stay connected, to stay close to, to God who wants to carry us through, who wants to do these things with us and for us. So still looking at our roles. And in light of Romans 8, we look at our relationships. They have a huge impact on our mood. You guys know, huge impact on our mood. And when we get up in the morning and, and how somebody's being nice or not nice to us or how we're being nice to them or not nice to them, um, it, that has a huge impact on our mood. So, so get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. You can't get rid of that in their lives, but you can get rid of it in yours. You can, you can be the difference. You can open your heart to letting God come in by getting rid of all the ugly nonsense that he says, don't worry about that. Be humble. Let me come in. Let me guide you and direct you. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So you see, in category B, we retreat back to God, the one who saves, the one who comforts, the one who directs, the one who is trying to get our attention and direct us on the paths of everlasting life. Because he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. So this is, this is that, those first seven and eight there. That's what we're doing when, back up in Ephesians 4, when it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Even though somebody's maybe being mean to us, even though a situation is really beating us down, if we say, no, I, I choose today to do it your way, this is what he's talking about. 
He's saying, humble yourselves before God and choose to do it my way. Let me run there. Let there be tears for what you've done. You know, acknowledge, maybe I am screwing some of this stuff up. It's not that it's all my fault this is going on, necessarily, but here's the role I can play, and here's what I've done. Here's where I'm at. Let me humble ourselves before God, and he will lift you up in honor. The very bottom there. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. The, the next verse in Psalms is one we, we've already looked at. But remember, he gives us a new song to sing. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. I, I'm at the bottom, going back to the top. After he waited patiently for the Lord to help him, and he turned to me and heard my cry. This is as he's humbling himself before God and doing these things, getting rid of all of, of this stuff in him to, to let God do what he's going to do. And it's, it's not that, that this just, okay, I do that and all things are done. You know, we're still going to have troubles. We're still going to have hard times. Once again, Jesus' words, I've told you all this so that you may have peace on me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That is our hope. Last section. It's very, very short. Because I have overcome the world. That's our hope. It's a real hope. Colossians 3 since, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That is what he's encouraging us and exhorting us, that means encouraging us, to do as he says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, be sorry for what you have done, and pick up my ways. Do this because you've been raised to new life with Christ. That is our hope because that is a real hope. And then in the end, this is a prophecy or somebody telling the future about what's to come. Um, this guy named John wrote this. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That is the hope. Now, to, to understand a hope like that and to, to live out a hope like that is very radical. Very, very, very radical. So I've got three minutes to tell you this really cool story, and I'm going to, about a guy who, and, and you see stories like this everywhere. You see it in Ridgecrest. You see it in people's homes. You see it in people's work. You see it. You see you see these stories of the hope that is there. You open your eyes to them. It can be def- difficult sometimes. And I know it is for me. But, but we're going to go to this one. This, this, Russian, um, this Russian guy named Dmitri. Um, and this whole story is in this video called The Insanity of God. Uh, it's a really cool video, cool book. I think it's a book. I, I just watched the, the movie. Um, Insanity of God. But it's this, this, Dmitri is the preacher. And you can look up my heart song. Dmitri, heart song. And there's a link to both in the app and on the bulletin to send you right to a, um, a really good telling of this story. I'm going to make it short and sweet and PG because I have to. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and so Dmitri was this, this preacher. Um, he didn't start as a preacher. He was a factory worker. And he discovered the Bible. 
in Russia in the 1960s, and uh, Christianity wasn't necessarily welcome there. So he started teaching his kids about Christianity. He's like, whoa, look what I'm reading. He taught his boys about it, his family about it, his wife about it, and he started this house church. So they couldn't meet in a big church like this that was illegal, and, but he started this house church of just, just telling people. He had fire in his eyes for God. He found, and he found this, this hope, this real hope. There was more than just, oh, this is a cool story. <laughs> when, when you open your heart and your eyes to God, you, you say, whoa, this is real. <laughs> this is what happens. And that's what happened in his life. So here he is starting, not necessarily intentionally starting this house church. He was teaching his boys, and somebody else is like, whoa, where'd that come from? They, and you know, his boys are like, well, my dad told me. And so now all of a sudden, he's got this church in his house. One night, it grew to 85 people. And the KGB came in and broke it up and said, and they, they, like, they beat him up real bad. And they said, if you don't stop doing this, we're, this that's going to be the least that happens to you. And they're about to leave. And this old lady that was sitting there said, said you just hit a messenger of God. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember, it, was, it was in Russian for one thing. But I'm paraphrasing the story that, that, uh, that I heard from. It was an eyewitness guy reporting on an interview he did with Dimitri. And, um, and he said, you just hit a messenger of, of God. So you're not going to live before the end of the week. You're going to die before the end of the week. And um, that was on Tuesday. On Friday, that guy, that commander of the KGB died. His house church was packed the next weekend. <laughs> and the KGB came in and arrested Dimitri that night. So he had like 125, 150, I don't remember the number, 100 plus. And the KGB came in, arrested him, took him to prison for 17 years. He spent his 17 years finding getting beat for this, but he'd find, he wasn't allowed to have pen and paper or anything like that. He'd find like little charcoal pieces and little pieces of paper. He'd write tiny Bible verses on them and like stick them on his cell wall because his cell wall was moldy and, and watery and, and whatever, and his paper would stick. He'd stick it up there so they could see, so all they could see because that was like, his like, this is what I can, this is how I can praise God. And every morning he would wake up, stand at the edge of his, of his cell at the door and like sing this song called his heart song. And everyone hated that. <laughs> they threw stuff at him. They threw human waste at him. They, they hated that he did that. And it was annoying, obnoxious. I don't know why, but they, I mean, I, I do. But they hated him for it. And the guards would beat him. But he did it every day for 17 years. To stand up and sing. <laughs> and, and, and then to get beat for, for talking about the Bible or putting Bible verses up. And, and they did everything they could to break him. I'm, I would really encourage you to look at the video um, so it's, it's the links, you got the link. They did everything they could to break him. There are some harrowing stories in there of what they did to him and some things he went through. And one day they, they finally broke him and he said, that's it, fine. They, they, he, he thought that they had, um, they thought he had done, they thought he, they had done something terrible to one of his family members. He said, that's it. I need to go home and check on everyone else. And, uh, cause, and so he said, that's it. Tomorrow I'll sign wherever you want me to sign. They just wanted him to sign something that says, I don't really believe in Jesus. <laughs> that's all they wanted him to do. 17 years, that's what they were trying to get him to do. They were beating him and torturing him and, and doing all kinds of stuff to him. So he's praying that night saying, God, I'm done. I can't keep going. And, and then he saw his whole family praying for him as he was praying. They were actually praying for him. You interview the family. They said, yeah, that night. We know it because they obviously figure out what night it was. That night we... We, we sensed that there was something really awful going on with Dimitri, so we all got together and prayed. And as, he, as Dimitri was praying, he saw them, and the next morning they came in to get him to sign it, and he said, I'm not signing anything. I saw them. They're alive. They're okay. And, and they were like, who are you? <laughs> what happened to you? You were broken last night. And he says, God showed me they're really here, really alive. And one day they got so fed up with him, they yanked, they said, you see that pole? In 10 minutes you're going to be on that pole. In 15 minutes you're going to be dead. Let's go. 
And as they're yanking him out of the cell, the whole prison stands up, raises their hands, and sings his heart song. All the guys who were yelling and screaming and throwing stuff at him, mad at him for singing it, stood up. And the, and the guards once again, who are you? And he said his exact, the words as, it, as it's recorded, I am a child of the living God. His name is Jesus Christ. This was almost the end of his 17 years. He was let go shortly after that. 17 years he kept that hope with no hope. He had no hope other than the living God. His name is Jesus Christ. So summary and application, what do we do with this? Jesus will return the world to perfect order. He will live among his people. Those he saves from the crushing waves. That's what we were looking at in Revelation there a moment ago. But until that time, we will have many trials and sorrows. God hasn't abandoned us to those. Or to depression. Or left us to fend for ourselves. But he wants to walk with us and protect us from the crashing waves. He wants to guide us with concrete, practical instruction from the Bible. That is, it's, it's effective. It really is. So we should stick close to him. And if we can help you guys in any way in that, or maybe guide you somewhere, just listen. That's what we're here for. We, we get to meet in person somehow. And even when we can't, you can call or text or whatever. We, man, we, we have this hope in Christ and this love from Christ that, that just radiates out to all around us. So, so never hesitate to ask. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, God of the universe, the one who put us here, who knows what we're going through, who is bringing us through it with a purpose and wants to support and guide. Thank you that as we come to you humbled, with open ears, ready to hear, ready to, to reject our ways in favor of yours, you will carry us through these times and raise us up in your time. Whenever that is, we acknowledge your time, your ways, they are perfect. And we thank you so much for that. And you're perfect in awesome name. Amen.